guilt is a huge issue in your soul, and there there is a lot to study. I want everyone who listens to the Salty Pastor to dig into this on their own. Take some time to study and figure out where you come down on it, because the main reason is that it has a massive impact on your life. This principle of guilt and where it comes from and how you're supposed to deal with it will determine whether you are an optimistic person or a pessimistic person about life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you learn how to study the Bible for yourself by showing you how to look into the historical, philosophical, and cultural background in which it was written. The reason why the Salty Pastor Podcast is so different is because we are trying to get you to think for yourself. The reason is because what you believe is the most important thing about you, therefore you should know what you believe and why you believe it. We're here for you, and we hope this podcast helps you grow in your own faith along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer, I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one the only the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey everyone, it's so good to be with you today. We just finished an incredibly long series, just over three months, on the parables of Jesus. And we are getting ready to launch to a brand new focus, kind of a deep dive. And I think it's going to be really different than anything we've done before. Yeah, it's our new series titled Fresh Start. And the tagline, and you came up with this, was pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. Yeah, well, what's the name of this baby? Fresh start. I said that. Oh, so, did you? Okay. Yes. I didn't catch that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going fast, Pastor. I was going fast. So we're we're doing a fresh start. We're we're doing this new series yeah. and we're gonna focus on something every single human being deals with at some point in their life, which is feeling guilty. Yeah. Everyone deals with some sort of guilt, uh, some form of shame, some sort of regret. Um and we want to talk about how does guilt affect you? Is it good to feel guilty all the time? Or are you more spiritual when you are feeling guilty because you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> yeah. Or is guilt and shame something that is used against you, something that undermines your faith, something that causes you to doubt what Jesus has done in you and what he wants to do through you? Mm. Our goal is to try and answer some of these questions as we dig into the issue of guilt, shame, and regret, and what you as a follower of Jesus should do about it. But first... How does this study fit with our overall theme for the year, Pastor? The kingdom of God has been our theme for the year. So this feels like a bit of a, a different mindset compared to what we've been studying. Well, the rest on the surface, of the it might look like, uh, you know, kind of a little offshoot. But really, you know, the theme of the year is kingdom of God. And once you become a part of the kingdom of God, the question then is, what does daily life look like? Now, our studies of the parables painted a pretty clear picture of how we should seek first living in the kingdom of God, even though we're still living here in this world. So how do you do both at the same time? Mm, okay. That's okay. That That's pretty much it. Yeah. What happens to you the longer you live in the kingdom of God while still living here on earth? Does life actually look different or is it just pretty much the same because you know, at least you have peace because you know, no matter what God is going to pull you through difficult times. Well, this whole process that we're talking about right now is basically the doctrine of sanctification. Okay. And this is an ancient doctrine of the church. The early church fathers talked extensively about it. The writer, the apostles uh, wrote about it in the new Testament. And the doctrine of sanctification is what happens to you when you become a part of the kingdom of God while still living here on earth. Okay. 
And so it has to do with everyday living. Now, the doctrine of sanctification comes from the, the word sanctification comes from the Greek word hagiadzo. 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 And what it does is it means to set apart or made fit for service. And Paul talks about this to Timothy in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, where he says the following. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver implements. Uh, he goes on to say, there are also implements of wood and earthenware. Some are for honor, while others for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be an implement of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So sanctification is described here as being set apart for God for service. Sanctification also has a moral dimension to it, okay. right? Uh, he says, flee youthful lusts. And he talks, Paul talks about this to his letter to the first Thessalonians, where it, he talks about, you need to turn away from immorality and turn towards God. Uh, verse uh, three through seven of chapter four of the first book to the Thessalonians says it this way. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality and that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and that no one violate the rights and take advantage of his brother or sister in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things, just as we also told you previously and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us in sanctification. Therefore, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you see what he's talking about is the doctrine of sanctification is God's work within us once we become followers or once we start living in the kingdom, right? We're now redeemed. And if we deny this work, we're not denying another man's opinion. We're denying the work of God in us. Okay. okay. Which is kind of interesting. So, well, I guess I can, as a Christian, deny the work of God in me. I can deny what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Well, we're going to dig into that and try to find the answer. In Ephesians chapter four, verses 20 through 24, Paul says again, but you did not learn Christ in this way. So he's referencing something we know in our heads, right? If indeed you have heard him and you've been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you are to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you see, sanctification has a moral component to it. In other words, morality, we're using it to refer to what I do each and every day, you know, my actions. But it's, it's fascinating because if you really think about it, there's two primary components to sanctification. And you kind of heard about them in these two passages. 
and we'll expand on it, and that is positional sanctification and condition of sanctification. So the difference between positioning and condition is this. Sanctification is spoken as an accomplished event by the blood of Christ in our lives. We've been sanctified by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 130, uh, verse 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. And that is, is that everything was accomplished on the cross to bestow on us the righteousness of God. So that's a cleansing. That's a sanctification. So that's our positional sanctification, okay. salvation. And then there's our condition in this new sanctification. And that's what we, we talk about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, verse 23. And that is our sanctified condition, let me say that properly, is far from perfect. We still sin and ultimately we're never perfected until Jesus returns. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. So we have a positional change right up front called being born again. We now are redeemed. We have the righteousness of God that's cleansed us from all unrighteousness, right? But our condition has is not perfected yet, okay? So we our position has changed but we need to like work and grow into what we have been changed into so in essence what i'm talking about is being married okay you want to elaborate on that <laughs> it's just being married right it's okay you stand in front of uh, god and you say i vow to be married to you right, right. and so when you when positionally okay, tax wise you've been changed you are changed i mean you are you walk into that building before you get married as a single person right but when you walk out you're married okay all right positionally you have changed yes does that make you a perfect husband no well i assume not <laughs> i don't know not married yet not married yet so Okay, I've been married, it's, it's almost 35 years, and my wife, I think, would graciously say there's a few <laughs> things I still need to work on. Okay. okay. So do you see what I'm saying? So my position, I'm a married person now, changed almost 35 years ago, but my condition is still a work in progress. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. I was a little lost up until the <laughs> the analogy at the end. I'll be honest. A great analogy yes, always helps, it doesn't does it? It does help kind of ground it for me. So I, I appreciate that. What I really love um, is in these verses you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, I really, really liked first Thessalonians four, three through seven, which it says for, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what he wants for you, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is not just a happenstance that we got when Jesus died. It wasn't like an accident or like a bonus Bypro yeah, right. byproduct. Yeah. It yeah. was, no, this was the point. Point yes. and purpose of everything he's done up to this point was that you get to be sanctified. You get to be set apart and fit and ready to do what he has always designed us to do, yes. which was, you know, in this, lines mindset so i think that really helps because i mean i think what's so hard sometimes about being a christian is all the christianese that gets thrown around yes. and it's like you hear sanctified and and all of these different words and it's like i've been a believer since i was in elementary school in some form or fashion right mm -hmm. and i still am like oh is that what sanctified means yeah what, what does that mean i i just knew it as kind of this word that just kind of floats around that the pastor uses yeah. when we're supposed to be talking about certain things and so it's like i think having that 
understanding of what does that actually mean? Like translate it down, help me understand. And I think that's what that really did is that mm -hmm. helps us. Those verses all support that. It describes what that looks like. You know, you're not, you're not uh, giving in a sexual immorality. You're not um, lying, cheating, doing all these different things. You are set apart. You are held to a higher standard because you're set to do something. Mm -hmm. um, so what I kind of want to talk about now is why are the leaders of the faith, these early church fathers, including Augustine, Aquin, Aquin, Aquinas, I, I always mess up that word. Aquinas. Always, whatever I read it, I always want to say Aquinas. Aquinas. Aquinas, Wesley, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. All those guys. Why were they so focused on the doctrine of sanctification? Well, it's interesting, as you said earlier, you know, I grew up hearing the word all the time, but I wasn't ever sure what it meant. And then you go back and you read these early church fathers and then they're also giant, writing about, oh, it they write about it all the time. And Paul, you know, you see these big chunks in these letters, like you were saying, this is God's will. It was a really big deal. But I think the other reason why people thought about it all the time is because it reflects everyday life of a follower of Jesus. And what it reflects and what it deals with is your sense of guilt, your sense of shame, your sense of regret. And if there's one thing that's true about humans is we feel a lot of guilt and we have a lot of regrets and we have a lot of shame about things. And well, so, and the, the world will tell you that's because we're Christians, not because, because they say, oh, you, you just feel bad because someone else is telling you. No, which is so ridiculous. <laughs> but it's I'm assuming so you're going to dive into all of that. Yeah, we'll but. dive into all that. That is, everybody deals with guilt, shame, and regret. The question is, as a Christian, how are you supposed to deal with it? So some people are driven by guilt. You know, they do what is right, not because of the benefit of doing it, right? They simply do what they do because they don't want to feel guilty. Right. Right. And Which is a huge motivator these days of, well, yeah. you should feel bad for having done this to me so many years ago and yeah. that'll be held for you or ever. Or, I mean, I my understanding is a lot of the Catholic religion is based off of the idea of yeah, being we'll, held Yeah, and we'll dig into guilt. that, yeah, and why that is. Right. It's really interesting. We'll, we'll dig into that into a moment. But our entire society on controlling people is done by guilt, mm. you know? Um, and making people feel guilty. The entire cancel culture today, woke, the wokeness uh, attitude about life. Uh, we've talked in the past about postmodern deconstructionism. We've talked about critical race theory. We've talked about cultural Marxism. We've talked about feminism and all of these uh, uh, gender identities that are coming out. All of these things are uh, used uh, in order to create guilt in people in order to modify their behavior and get them to be accepted. So their primary appeal is guilt. And so I find that really fascinating. Some people want to pay for their guilt. Like you just brought this up and, and you know, let's dig into that for a second. One of the most interesting things about human nature is that we feel a deep need to pay for our, our guilt. I don't know if you ever saw the mission, uh, the movie, uh, the mission and part of that one, the one with the guy, I think we talked about this on a there's previous some Jesuit episode. priest. Yeah. And yeah. He, he carries, he's dragging something with him the whole yeah, time. Right? He, he was a, a ship captain. He owned his own ship and he traded slaves. Okay. Mm. And one time on a trip, he went from Brazil and he went back to Spain to take slaves back. And while he was gone, his brother hooked up with his wife that he neglected. So he gets back and in a fit of rage, he kills his brother. Okay. And then he's like, then he realizes that, 
you know, he feels so guilty about it and he can't deal with his guilt. So he turns to one of the priests, uh, I believe it was Jeremy Irons who play, play, uh, portrayed one of the priests. And what he did is, is he gives them this opportunity to go and do ministry at a, this mission way, way deep into the jungle to an unreached people's group. And so what he does is he says, it's not enough. And so he binds up all of his weapons of warfare, his armor, his swords, his helmets, everything into this big, huge gunny sack about the size of this table. If you're not seeing it, the, the table's probably about six foot by six foot. So it's a big, huge thing. And then he drags it all the way up to this mission over the course of three or four months. So that just represents people need to pay a penance. They have to pay for it. Uh, here's something that's really interesting of a movie that won Academy Awards uh, with Meryl Streep was called Sophie's Choice. And it's a, yeah, it's called Sophie's Choice. You're, uh, you're part of the younger generation. You may not remember it. But basically, this guy's living in an apartment and this woman lives above him named Sophie and she has a very abusive boyfriend. And this guy comes and just beats on her all the time. And the guy down below befriends her and then he can't understand what in the world's going on. And then he finds out what happened is she was a survivor of the Holocaust. Okay. And one of the not the Nazis came up to her. She had two children and the Nazis made her choose which one would live and which mm. one would die. And so they killed one of her children and she had to pick. And so what did she feel about that? Guilt. Right. She could not resolve her guilt over having to choose. Sophie. So she got a boyfriend that beat her up all the time to give her some sense of pain, penance, right? She had to pay for her choice. Um, Catholicism over, you know, it's really interesting because you see the development of how Roman Catholicism developed and the idea of penance and confession and all this kind of stuff. But like you said, it's built on that, giving you an opportunity to pay penance for your sins. And so, uh, I, I here, here's something, a very popular person, a guy, I read a lot of his stuff, listen to him. And I like his, uh, perspective on things is Ben Shapiro. Okay. But Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew and he interviews these guys that are really powerful Christian leaders all the time. And when the, he was asked, well, why aren't you a Christian when you see that Jesus was a personification of the old Testament law and I thought his answer was really interesting. He said this, he said, well, Christianity is predicated on someone else paying for your sins, Jesus. And I believe I need to pay for my own sins. He's so stuck in that mindset of, I have to do it myself. Yeah. See, it, it, it is such a powerful pull is that it, it, the more intelligent you are, the more you care about life in your own life the more guilty you feel. Mm. And we are driven to want to pay for that. And the doctrine of sanctification is all about how you, as a person, deals with the everyday aspects of life as you follow Jesus. It all revolves around, what does this life look like once I have been saved by Jesus? How, why do I still feel guilty? Should I still feel guilty? What do I, how do I know that guilt is something that's bad or good? How, what's the difference between conviction and guilt? And so this is why we're going to dig into this because it's connected a lot to the kingdom of God. And that's why we're calling it pack your bags, you know, or fresh start because you got to pack your bags or going on a guilt trip. 
Well, I think it's, I think what you brought forward was really important is that so many people understand guilt, feel guilt naturally, even if they don't have a belief in a higher cause, you right. know, uh, or even necessarily a full morality as we would see it, they, they somehow still feel guilt, right? It's an emotion mm -hmm. that exists within us. Shame the same way. There's, there's that you would almost have to pair those, right? Like shame usually doesn't occur unless there is guilt about right. something. Right. Right. And so I think us diving into this base human emotion and where it comes from and whether it's healthy or not, or how we should be dealing with it. Um, I have an anticipation that you have a specific, uh, opinion on this that is going to maybe surprise some people. So I'm excited for us to be diving into this, but, um, it can have such a huge, powerful impact on people, the, yes. the guilt and shame. It can completely wreck people's lives over the process. Yeah. People so, have no idea how much it really drives them yeah. in their nature. And yeah. so it makes sense that scripture has things to say about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing in scripture that doesn't have a point and purpose and Correct. the things that get written about the most or the things that get mentioned, uh, there's a reason they're mentioned, mm -hmm. right? Because they're usually something we need. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think scripture has a lot to say about it because what we have to understand is that scripture doesn't tell you what to eat for breakfast, right? Right. It, it doesn't tell you what you should wear in a rainstorm. Right. You know, it doesn't tell you how to build a house. You know, all it says is unless the Lord build the house, those who build it labor in vain. Right. Well, what in the Sam Hill does that mean? <laughs> do I go and talk to the architect and do I need an engineered stamp from Jesus? What does that mean? Well, you know, I'm mildly facetious here, but the, this is the point is that the Bible is designed for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is, is to answer the biggest questions about life and its purpose it's to address the issue of your soul. And so guilt is a huge issue in your soul. And there, there is a lot to study. I want everyone who listens to the salty pastor to dig into this on their own, take some time to study and figure out where you come down on it. Because the main reason is that it has a massive impact on your life. This principle of guilt and where it comes from and how you're supposed to deal with it will determine whether you are an optimistic person or a pessimistic person about life. Mm. Uh, this principle impacts whether you're cynical. You know, are you cynical about things? Are you cynical about people? Are you cynical about relationships? Are you cynical about institutions? Are you cynical about the government? Are you cynical about friends? Are you Are you just a cynical person in general? Or are you a hopeful person? It's like, well, there's no such thing as utopia. There's no such thing as perfection. Our institutions are not perfect. They never will be. But my goodness, just think of the alternative. And right. it's, I have hope that even though they're, you know, a little muddy or a little convoluted at times, ultimately they can bring about an, a just result. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's really important to understand is, is that this principle impacts how you view your world. It impacts how trusting you are of other people. Can people be trusted? Well, on one level, no. And on another level, absolutely, all the time. Right. The, the question isn't, um, I'm, I need to find that perfect person who's trustworthy because that doesn't work. What you have to do is you have to understand human nature. Mm. And, you know, if you understand that, um, I, I, I have a friend, he and his wife, they love dogs, and they saw this dog get in a car wreck. 
and or hit by a car. So he gets out of his car and he walks I, up to help his dog. I know you dog. can't hear them right now, but you just heard all of our female listeners go, oh. <laughs> so he gets out of the car, right? He, he's on his way to work. It's early in the morning or something. He gets out of the car and the dog was sitting there hurting. And he goes, as soon as I walked up to comfort the dog, I knew the dog would bit me, bite me. Mm. And because the dog, it was a golden retriever too, which tend to be pretty mild-mannered dogs and love people. So he walks up there and what does he do? The dog bites him. Right. He goes... Was he mad at the dog? No. No. Because he, 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 he does, does he distrust dogs? No. He's got like four or five golden retrievers. <laughs> I mean, so the thing is, is that he knew what to expect. And when it happened, he wasn't shocked or surprised. You see, the point is, is, is this issue determines whether you can trust people or not. Because what it does is it aligns your expectations with reality. Today, there's a lot of talk about narcissism in our world, dealing with narcissistic people in relationships. Well, this principle is a primary driving factor in narcissistic thinking. And the reason why we have so much more narcissistic thinking today than we ever did before is because we have rejected this worldview of what is guilt and where it comes from. So I think the most important thing, though, that this issue has to deal with in your own life, the place where you will find it impacts you more than anything else has to do with love. Okay. This principle has a huge impact on whether or not you can love another human being. And if you don't get a hold of this and understand it, then you, I, I, I know this is salty to say, but you'll never be able to love another human being. You won't be able to do it until you understand how this impacts your life. And, if you can't love someone else, the bottom, the problem with that is it robs you of the, one of the most important things that you and your soul need, and that is feeling loved by another human being. So this issue of guilt and sanctification and how it deals with it is critical when it comes to love, real love, pure love. So the primary goal will be to focus on how to fan the flames of living in the kingdom of God, understanding what sanctification is and how it works in your life so that your heart and your mind now is on the right path while at the same time living in a world that propagates guilt, it propagates regret, it propagates shame. And like oil and water, these things don't mix well. You know, uh, spiritual sanctification and fleshly, you know, lusts of the flesh that are deceitful, oil and water, bro, they do not mix well. Absolutely right? not. And so, therefore, this whole series is about this. The things that you can do that influence the process of sanctification in your own life. So my hope is that this study will help you focus not only on how to live in this world and pursue the kingdom of God, but to remove all the obstacles, the tricks of the devil, the deceptions uh, that trips you up and cause you to live contrary to who Christ has created you to be. Because as you pointed out in 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God for your life. I think the... The practicality of this study is something that we cannot overstate. I think mm -hmm. with how effective this is in our life of how much guilt and shame works in our life and the people around us, we need to make sure we are 
really listening to this series because I think it's going to be so practical in just making our lives better and pe- helping us make people's lives around us better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it really will help people and make a difference in their walk with Jesus and potentially lead some people who are not walking with Jesus to Jesus because they go, well, you have something different. You're not walking around with this giant block on your shoulder that is weighing you down, right? So yeah. it's uh, not just about that weighing down, but it's also what people don't understand is that guilt becomes a matrix through which we perceive data. Okay. So it affects how we view everything in our lives as well. Yep. So even more important then. Mm-hmm. So talk to me as we wrap up in our last couple minutes, what is the most important frame of reference we need to have in order to dig into this topic pro- properly? If we're going to come into this and be fully into listening to what you have to share with us, um, what you've been working on over the summer, what should we be coming in? What lens mm-hmm. should we have? Well, as we've studied all year about the kingdom, we need to understand how significant that there's a a single event um, that has happened in your life, salvation, and then the ongoing event of how that works out in your life. Just like being married. I got married, and now 35 years later, I'm still trying to figure out what that means. In essence, by focusing on this in your life, you will come to a deeper understanding of your salvation. What actually happened when I got saved? You know, some people are like, man, this is just so awesome. I feel free from, I, I, my, my soul is lighter and I'm more at peace. Well, that, that's a great thing to feel, but you're going to need to dig in as to why do you feel that way after your salvation? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So the doctrine of sanctification is a deep dive into your own, into your own heart, deep dive into your own heart. The very first stumbling block that will trip you up in experiencing, growing, living in what God did for you when he saved you is the experience of guilt. Okay. So, um, I think the, there's a quote out there by, uh, Carl Jung, who is a great psychologist, really interesting guy. And he started out with Freud, but then they split because he basically thought that Freud was a nut. Which, which he was. He was. <laughs> um, He's, he guessed correctly. <laughs> he guessed correctly, but it's really interesting um, what Carl Jung said. I want to read this quote. He goes, I have frequently seen people become neurotic when they content themselves with inadequate or wrong answers to the questions of life. Mm. They seek position, marriage, reputation, outward success of money, and remain unhappy and neurotic even when they have obtained what they were seeking. Such people are usually confined within too narrow a spiritual horizon. Their life is not sufficient content, sufficient, excuse me, their life has not sufficient content, not sufficient meaning. If they are enabled to develop into more spacious personalities, which is an interesting way to look at Mm -hmm. it, the neurosis generally disappears. So he's saying what you need to do is we need to broaden our horizons. We need to open up ourselves beyond just the initial statement of what guilt is. And I believe that that's what the New Testament does in helping you do a deep dive on the impetus of salvation in your own life and what it means. And that is a journey worth taking. 
Absolutely. I'm very excited. And I think the listeners are going to be as well. We want to make sure that we are prepared and that we're coming in with the right lens as we go through this. I know mm-hmm. today's episode was kind of like a, uh, we usually do like a really deep Bible study and you did, we did talk about some verses, but this yes. is kind of setting up the whole thing. So yes. this is a good listen just to make sure that we're all on the same page as we move forward and have this fresh start, mm-hmm. uh, into the new series. Um, I want to make sure that you guys if you are local to Boise or if you're a Salty Pastor listener, we have our Roundup Sunday here at Foothills this Sunday. 500 pounds of tri-tip steak. We're going to have country Woo-hoo. worship. We're going to have a ton of activities, dessert, ice cream trucks, first responders, all kinds of stuff happening. But we are actually in need of some volunteers to help make some side dishes and set up and tear down things. So if you're local, you're planning on coming to Roundup and you want to help um, support what uh, Roundup is all about, which is a, an enormous outreach to our community that we put together every year. Um, we would love for you to do that. Just visit foothills.org slash events to get signed up. We still need help. So if you're able to help, please do so and sign up now. Otherwise, we'll see you on Thursday as we continue our new series, Fresh Start. Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. And until then, we'll see you later. Blessings. Blessings.